We're actually recording today in my house, which is a nice little setup because I don't have to go anywhere. Um, I also think it's great that my wife um, basically invited you guys over and invited ourselves to have your dinner. They were on the phone planning that as I was cooking. So it was like either throw this out or we'll just take it over and let Adam eat it. Hey, I feel like I did a good job of only having a small portion because I looked in the refrigerator to see what I'm going to have after they leave so I don't insult them. Uh, <laughs> and there's enough leftovers from other meals that I'm good. So it reminds me of uh, this one time a uh, traveling salesman was on the road and he uh, went into a diner and saw this cowboy sitting at the bar. And uh, he sits down at the counter next to him and uh, notices the cowboy is just kind of leaned over, staring into a bowl of chili. And uh, so he has a cup of coffee, and he's trying to decide what he wants to order. And he looks over at the cowboy, still just sitting there, staring at the chili. And uh, salesman says, are you going to eat that? And the uh, cowboy pushes it over to the salesman and says, go right ahead. So the guy takes one bite, and he's just like, this is the most amazing chili he has ever had. It's amazing. And so he just starts spooning it like crazy gets all the way to the bottom of the bowl and there's this dead roach sitting in the bottom of the bowl. So the salesman just throws up all the chili back into the bowl and the cowboy says, yep, that's what happened when I ate it too. (laughs) That's so wrong. Soccer chat with two T's because we're going to chat about soccer but we're also in Chattanooga so it's like a play on words and you know chattanooga is a soccer city all right welcome to episode two of the soccer chat i am adam bruce one of your hosts here with alex fordney we've got a lot in store for you today um we're going to recap the atlanta united two game as well as uh have some interviews that we took afterwards or actually alex took afterwards with the coach as well as Richard Dixon, Juan Mari, and Stephen Beatty. We're also going to give you a quick MLS preview. And then, of course, we're going to go over, as we always do, some general information, general league news. There's some really great announcements that were made about um, various ESPN Plus and some preseason matches. And then lastly, and a thing I'm most looking forward to, we get to finally have the segment we talked about, which is Alex's airing of grievances. So all that's coming your way. Looking forward to a, a full, fun-packed time. All right, we're going to start right off here, Alex. Let's go ahead and go with a game recap. Um, you... Fortunately, got to see the whole game. I actually was helping out with uh, some of the um, game day operations for the Red Wolves. So the Red Wolves played Atlanta United 2 to a tie. Um, what can you give us from that first half? I unfortunately didn't get to see much of it. Um, the uh, the first half, they um, Chattanooga Red Wolves really looked like the better team. Um, they had opportunities um, to score. They scored early, 11th minute. Juan Mare pounced and uh, was able to score the goal. Um, they did pretty well moving the ball around. They seemed to possess more of the ball. Um, Atlanta United worked on, they were really physical. Um, it seemed like they were kind of compensating for um, not having the same level of talent. Um, there was a lot of grabbing, holding. Um, I personally was a little frustrated with the referee. Um, you know, everyone can take it with a shaker of salt because, of course, I have my fan goggles on. But it felt like he was going to allow... Atlanta United to physical um, embody on Chattanooga Red Wolves and slow the game down. Um, and so it was kind of disappointing that it did, he didn't call that tight from the beginning and allow the game to really open up. Was he at least fair, though? Did you feel like he was doing the same if we were getting physical on our end? 
There was a few times where here again, you know, with my fan goggles on, it felt like he was calling stuff that that what well, he was he was calling fouls on the Red Wolves that was not quite um, as physical as what Atlanta United was doing without getting the call. Um, you know, as someone who's refereed in high school, if I complain too much about a referee, I'm sure all the coaches of the games that I refereed would say, "Look who's talking here, Buster." Um, so it's different when you're the actual referee in the center of the field and seeing things and, you know, hearing what's going on. Um, you know, there've been a few times where you referee a match that's, you know, one team completely outclasses the other and you almost do kind of let them get away with a little more because that's the only way that it can be even on the field. One of the things they did start a number of young guys, right? So they started what, six teenagers. Is that what I, I read? So do you feel that that was part of it, that he was trying to create more of an even match? Um, I don't know. There, Like I said, there was just a few times where, um, you know, like right at the beginning of the match, um, Stephen Beattie got really cleared out by a shoulder challenge, um, knocked on knocked on, on the ground, and uh, the referee didn't make a call there, um, you know, and it felt like it kind of set the tone. Atlanta United then realized, okay, well, we can kind of grab and we can hold, we can push, Um and so it just kind of slowed the game down and made it sloppy. And it was already wet conditions, um, and I think that had an effect. So for you, you know, you've mentioned Steven. You've, you've mentioned a couple other players. Who were your standout players? I was really impressed with Cito Sione, um in the first half. He had multiple shots, didn't have any that went on target, but was also so active in the attack in setting people up and making passes and springing people. Um, in this match, Hankinson... Um, from the Birmingham match, switched Sito from midfield up to forward to play a winger. Um, they were lined up in a 4-3-3. He moved Stephen Beattie from winger back to center midfield. And it, I mean, it was really impressive. I think the two of them working together were doing a good job of feeding Juan Mare in the first half and giving him multiple opportunities. Um, I was also impressed with Richard Dixon coming up the, the right side on that right flank. And uh, I was impressed with Andrew Mullen really keeping the defense anchored. Um, I could hear him talking the whole half, yeah. commanding um, that back line, making sure everyone was in the right shape, trying to get people, um, the back line, moving as one team. Um, so I was really impressed with, with those guys. So one of the things that uh, I didn't know was happening, you actually said that you were aware of it, but they had a number of players that were there basically trying out for the team that had been there most of the week. Were there any of them that stood out to you? Uh, really, all three. So the three trialists, I'm going to have to apologize. I can't remember the goalkeeper's first name. His last name is Grichek. Um, he, he's mentioned in the Times Free Press article this Sunday um, from our friend um, Patrick McCoon. He, uh, he made a couple saves in real quick succession in the second half that could have really been a second goal for Atlanta United. Cameron Vickers came in, was playing on the wing. You would have seen him as number 19 on the field. Um, and Jamie Dell was number 15. Um, so I believe Cam was playing on the right side. Or was yeah, playing, he was, a, he was, he was right on the winger. right. Yeah. And Jamie was on the left. Um, and they really uh, were, the, were the ones that turned around the second half. They, they had the most of the ball. They were making attacks. You know, had plenty of opportunities. Jamie Dell had one that went off the crossbar in the 87th minute. Um, but, uh, but Cam also had a couple of times where he made a, made a run and got a ball and was really in a dangerous position. You know, they drew a foul, um, right outside the box as well that I think forced a pretty difficult yeah. save. Now, um, and I'll, I'll say this much too. The Atlanta United goalie, uh, he, he stepped up. There was definitely 
multiple saves that he made that that game could have gotten out of hand quick. So I got up there about 15 minutes left in the first half, um, was able to come up to the actual field and uh, get a chance to kind of get my eyes on the team for the first time. And um, yeah, same thing I, that you saw, I saw. Like they were they were definitely being pushed around a little bit, um, but he started to make some calls there at the end of the first half and definitely through the second half. The, the ref started basically saying, okay, you're you're going too far. And once that started to happen, I felt like the game started coming to him more. But I was really, really impressed with the speed that you saw from from really from both of those guys that were there as a trialist because uh, obviously they have a hunger that may not necessarily be there um, in that they're trying to make the team. But even outside of that, they weren't overextending themselves in that hunger. Like they were still yeah. passing to the right guy, making the back pass if necessary. They weren't forcing him necessarily. I was really impressed. I will say also in the second half, I was impressed with Josue Soto. Uh, came on in the 70th minute. Um, but he definitely in midfield was getting into good areas and feeding the wingers um, as as well as Jonathan Caparelli, I believe was came in and played on the left side of the defense in the second half. That seems right. And yeah. uh, he had some good opportunities coming forward um, to, uh, to challenge the Atlanta defense as well. Yeah. Like overall, I really felt the game went well. Um, if there was, you know, one thing you think they're going to take from this game and be focusing on moving forward, um, for you, what, what would that thing be? Um, not to give away too much of the interviews, but talking with Coach Hankinson, he wants to really work on making sure that they're working as a team um, with the high press. He thought that they did a good job with pressure to cause turnovers, um, so they're going to work on trying to kind of hunt as a pack and take that ball back and be able to turn it into a quick counterattack. Um, eh, Red Wolf joke. Like yeah, it. yeah, that's, that's what I was subconscious. Um <laughs> But also, to me, part of what held them back in my mind was there were times where um, the players were holding the ball too long. And so yeah. they were allowing themselves to get grabbed and held by Atlanta players if they were moving early passes, getting the ball going um, one, one, two touches instead of um, standing on it. It would have made it a lot harder for them to be slowed down. Yeah. Um, so I'm thinking maybe that's something else that as they get to know each other, they're going to learn that this guy likes to receive a ball this way this guy likes to make this run when he sees this situation. So as they get to know each other better, moving the ball around, they're going to be able to serve each other and you're going to see some more quick passes going. Well, and one of the things I did, did see on Twitter was a, a, a quote from, a um, from one of the play by play guys for Atlanta United two that was there saying that really the Atlanta, he felt that the Red Bulls looked like the more, um, experienced or the longer, um, the team that had been together the longest. Uh, like he he kind of gave the impression that he felt they looked like they were they were better equipped together. And if it's only, I mean, we're really honestly like two two and a half weeks into preseason um, for that statement to come out based off their first half. That's that's a that's a really good sign. So you, you mentioned the interviews. Let's let's go ahead and kind of set those up. You you got a total of four of them um, after the game. Uh, one with the coach as well as uh, with. Um, the goal scorer Juan Mare, uh, Richard Dixon, who we actually had on last time as well, and then Stephen Beattie. So, uh, anything specifically you want to talk about to set these up, or uh, Coach Hankinson? In this game, I could tell he seemed a lot more pleased with the outcome than he did with the game in Birmingham. Um, so, I think he is happy with where things are progressing as a team. Um, the other thing I would note: um, Juan Mare, um, his English is not perfect. Um, but he did a wonderful job in the interview, and I want to give him props for that, um, that, uh, that he was able to come speak with me. He was willing to as well to, to give us some sound. I appreciated him. 
Yeah, that's not, that's not an easy thing. I'm, I'm waiting for you to work on your Albanian a little bit so we can get an interview as well with, uh, my mind is blanking on his name. Ben Zagoro. Yeah, what you said. I would have mispronounced it either way. Uh, who actually is very much early in his process of learning English as well. So I look forward to you getting your Albanian better for that. Um, I don't know if you realize this, but we're real big in Albania. <laughs> uh, you may not have looked at the stats from episode one, but um, he is so friendly. I can't wait to talk with Vangel or to have an opportunity to, to maybe get some um, interaction with him on the show. Um, yeah. He is he, he loves the children, just, you know, folks that are coming to these games. If you get a chance for meet and greet stuff, he loves interacting with kids because he has a young daughter of his own. Um, so he really, and, and my favorite thing that I learned in watching this game is that when he goes on a run, because he doesn't know too much English, it's getting better, but he doesn't know a bunch. So when he goes on a run, he goes, hey! <laughs> That's, that's how everyone knows that he's heading down the, the left flank. All right. Well, we're going we're gonna to start off with this first one, which is going to be the coach. Uh, this is a post-game interview right after the Atlanta United 2 game. Here we go, guys. I'm here post-game with Coach Tim Hankinson. Um, coach, from the first uh, preseason match to this one, what are the improvements you saw in the squad today? I think uh, the fitness level is much higher uh, to work the field. I mean, when we played Birmingham a week ago, it was the first time we had run the full field, and it just showed that our legs weren't with us, but I think we've made uh, great strides this week. Our understanding of our concepts are also, like where we want to defend, how we want to pressure, uh, certain triggers we look for that get us to react as a team. Well, and I think if you look at the uh, attacking flow, we had as many opportunities as the team could hope for against a very good Atlanta side. In the second half, you had a couple trialists come on the field. Did you see anything impressive from them today? I think the goalkeeper did a good job, made a couple of important stops and held composure, went in possession of the ball for distribution. Uh, I think Cam and Jamie, the two wingers, uh, just about won the game, you know, off of their individual efforts and shots, hitting posts, crossbars, and everything else. So, you know, pleased with that. Uh, we've got more players we're still assessing. It's, it's a work in progress, putting the final pieces of the roster together, but but they should feel good about their performance today. Moving forward into the uh, next couple of preseason matches, um, what kind of things are you looking to work on with the team? Well, I think a lot of our attack came off of uh, forcing turnovers. And so we'll continue to do uh, some of the, the defensive pressuring work to make sure that we're more coordinated, timed better, right moments, uh, because I think forcing turnovers in their half and with the speed and execution that we showed today, uh, going the other way, going to their goal quickly, um, is, is maybe going to be a key element of our game. All right. Thank you very much, Coach. Thanks. All the best. Once again, that was Coach Hankinson. Thanks for getting that for us, Alex. Next up, we have Juan Mare. just want to remind you again, Juan is very early in his learning of the English language, but was really, really willing to uh, give us his time. So we want to thank him for that. And here's that part of the interview. I'm here post-match with Juan Mare, the goal scorer for Chattanooga Red Wolves. How did it feel to score the goal today, Juan? Hey, how are you? Thank you. Uh, I'm fine. I'm fine. It's a good teamwork, so a good pression. And I'm very happy for, for this moment. I, I hope the team keeps going in this way. Were you excited to start today? Yeah, yeah. Very excited. Uh, I appreciate that the fans. Everyone support the team, and I hope keep going with the team. Thank you very much. Thank you. Short and sweet, but some really good stuff in there. So once again, that was Juan Mare. Next up is Richard Dixon. 
I'm here with the uh, birthday boy, Richard Dixon. Richard, how do you feel things improved from the original uh, preseason match in Birmingham to today? Um, I think it was a you know a drastic change, um, you know which you expect those things. Game in Birmingham, first ten days in, you know guys were still trying to get their legs. You know a bunch of guys were still trying to get over travel and moving and stuff like that. So it was a bit rough. Um, coming into today, you know, now everybody's, you know, we're more used to each other with the movements, um, the communication, and, uh, you know, just the uh, overall expectation. So we expected it to be a good game, you know. Uh, we expected uh, guys to come out here and work, and we expected to put on a good product, which, um, unfortunately, we didn't get the win. But, um, you know, hopefully the fans, you know, were quite entertained. Yes. So soggy kind of misty day today how do you feel about the uh, turnout with the fans in the stadium yeah i was uh, actually quite surprised um you know expecting thunderstorms and stuff like that and you know seeing so many people turn out for the game it was great to see it was it was really really great to see and we certainly appreciate it yeah what are the uh, big things that you're looking to work on as you continue the preseason schedule oh a lot, lot of things everything really you know we there's still ways to go in terms of fitness um, you know, communication, movement, timing, spacing, everything. Really, we're, uh, I, I think we're in an okay place, um, but we're nowhere near where we want to be um, in March 30th. So we have, you know, five weeks to go and, you know, we'll keep continue working, we'll continue uh, progressing and we'll continue moving forward. Have any big birthday plans for today? Um, not really, you know, just hanging out with you guys, hanging out with the fans, hanging out with the boys. Uh, my girlfriend is in town, so... Um, I can't ask for a better birthday present. Fantastic. Well, let's go get warmed up and get a beer. Yes, sir. <laughs> Before Alex and Richard left to have a Red Wolves Irish Ale um, at Odd Story Brewery that had just been announced and released um, actually on Saturday, uh, he had one more interview to do with Stephen Beattie. And it's a little bit longer than the others, but there's some really good information here. We hope you enjoy it. Uh, here post-game with Stephen Beattie. Um, Stephen got to play the uh, first half today. How do you feel about how the game went for you? Yeah, I was happy. Um, I think compared to the Birmingham game, we've definitely improved. Um, we could see it in practice all week that the standards are slowly going up and up. And, you know, we're still a new group. It's only our third week going into our fourth week together. So definite progress. And I'm happy and proud of the guys, the way they performed. Obviously, would have liked to get the win, even if it's a scrimmage or friendly or whatever way you want to call it. You want to win and start off with a win. But it wasn't the way we had good pressure at the end for the last 50 minutes, hit the crossbar, created some chances. But overall, I'm really happy with the guys and how they performed. Um, so, coming over from Ireland um, to America, first time playing professionally in America, but you did play in college, um, what was the big draw that you saw when the offer came for you to join the Red Wolves? I spoke to Bob, I spoke to Colin, I spoke to Tim, and, you know, I think the project in Chattanooga is something that's really special, what's happening here. You can see just for a scrimmage about the fans that were out tonight, we knew that would be the case, you know, and I think I've done everything in Ireland, what I wanted to do, I've I won what I wanted to and played in the games they wanted to. And this is a fresh challenge and it was a perfect fit. I seen what they wanted to do here and, and this is going to be an exciting time. I know we're here in this high school for the first year. We'll, we'll make the most of it. We'll make this a fortress. Now when our stadium's built, it's going to be brilliant for the community of Chattanooga. It's yeah. just an exciting time. That is very exciting. Um, so uh, coming with the experience that you have in the Irish League at the top of the league, um, really looking at you as probably in a very leadership role, how have you embraced that? Yeah, coach has given me the captain's armband the last two games and something I embrace, you know, like Captain Cork City a few games and, and some big games, so have the experience at that, but it's 
more from my experience to show the younger guys how you conduct yourself on and off the field. You know, it's good to play for 90 minutes and lead by example, but you have to be a good professional off the field. You know, you don't know who you're speaking to in the community, so you have to be polite. And you know, and, and these guys are great. You know, they're, they're they're really buying into what we're doing here. And the nice thing about a new project is you can set your own goals and philosophies and how you want to conduct yourself. And as I said, we've got a really great tight knit group here. As you've come to Chattanooga, how do you uh, gotten out and about? How do you feel like the town has embraced you? Um, I think it embraces very well. Yeah. Um, I think they like the Irish too, which helps. Um, no, but it's very the Southern hospitality is famous, you know. I, I've heard about it before I came here, and a lot of people have said to me, you know, you love a Tennessee. I, I have some people that live in Knoxville, in, in Nashville, and said you'll really enjoy it, and that's exactly how it's been, you know. Everywhere we go, it's, I've had no bad experiences, you know. Everyone's open to, to the team and delighted we're here, and, and we feed off that, you know. It's great, and I think it's going to be a nice venture for us and fans that this community is going to grow and grow. Like, people have told me my apartment complex wasn't even here a month, or, sorry, six months ago. So, you know, that's that's how big the city's getting and, and our team's going to grow as the city grows so it's exciting times for everybody yeah southerners always love good accent yeah yeah absolutely and i think i'm very hard to understand so i'm slowing myself down a little bit but i know uh, van gaal our albanian guy had an interpreter with him and i think i need him too for some of the uh, for some of the talks i'm having but no it's a uh, it's great you know it's just a great experience to be here and, and we've all embraced it and we just can't wait for the regular season to start all right thank you very much for your time appreciate it man yeah. top man cheers some really, really great stuff there from Stephen. Um, some references to Cork City, who have um, the fans of that team have really, really given us insight into just what a great player and a hard worker he is, and we're really excited to have him on the team. Um, so that brings us to the end of part one. Uh, just like last week, we wanted to kind of split this up so that you got a chance to get a really a, um, a Red Bulls focus for the first half, some interviews and some post-game information. That'll somewhat be our structure uh, going forward. Uh, we're going to do our best to get you those interviews so you get some insight into the team. This is a, a really good group of people. But uh, when we come back, uh, we got a lot of stuff in store for you, um, and I really think you're going to enjoy it, so make sure you come back on the other side. As you may have heard, Soccer Chat is now part of the Beautiful Game Network. We are very excited to be a part of this group and what they bring to the podcasting world when it comes to soccer, especially in lower division. If you get a chance, go check them out at bgn.fm. All right, welcome back. Uh, once again, we're going to be jumping into an MLS preview as well as giving you some around the league, League One in information. But we're going to start off with that MLS preview. And we're going to start talking a little bit about the Western and Eastern Conference, but not in your traditional way. We're going to talk about it broken down as if there was promotion relegation. Who's in that relegation zone? Who's battling for those spots in the playoffs? So that's your mid-tier, mid-table teams. And who are the real cup contenders? And we're going to start off in the Western Conference. And Alex has chosen to take the Western Conference on, so we'll let him kind of get this All jump right. started. Time for full roster breakdown of all 24 MLS teams. So everybody buckle up. Two hours later, we'll let you know what's really going just, on. Just kidding, Terry. Just kidding. Um, okay. <clears throat> so, for me, with the, looking at the Western Conference, um, I have three teams that are in that would-be relegation zone. Um, San Jose Earthquakes, Vancouver Whitecaps, um, both teams with new coaches um, that are in complete roster rebuilds. Um, and then I'm really just not sure how I feel about FC Dallas looking at um, what they have put together. I believe they're a really young team, also a team with a new coach. Um, so I'm expecting them to kind of sink towards the bottom. 
So here, here's what's kind of interesting about what you're saying there. So I'm going to give the league one spin. I've also on the Eastern Conference, I've got um, Orlando B as who, who's, who we have in league one. I have Orlando itself in that bottom fighting for, for position. I don't think they're going to do very well. And I think, you know, I think that's kind of sad, but it's also a little bit of an insight into why did these teams drop down, right? Um, you know, if they don't have a quality program really even happening on the MLS side, you know their B team's going to be even weaker, right? Um, so I think that's part of it. Uh, but yeah, they, I have I have Orlando. I, of course, have Cincinnati. I mean, they just came up from USL. Um, they did actually keep a couple of their players from USL, but even the players that they drafted in their super draft or in the expansion draft, I, I'm not that impressed by. Like, there's nothing about them that makes you think this, these guys are going to be the next brand new team, like the Atlanta United that's going to fight their first year. They're not that team. Quick tangent. Do we have to continue to call the MLS thing a super draft? I don't understand <laughs> what it, what about it makes it super. Yeah, I've actually seen people that have argued that they need to get rid of the draft altogether and that the there should be more of a draft on the USL level um, because they don't, they very rarely actually keep those players that they draft sure. in that draft. So um, Also, another point to make, considering um, FC Cincinnati and the strategy they've made um, moving to MLS, it really, I agree with you, it seems like they're really taking kind of a slow growth approach, yeah. um, trying, to, trying to build that. Um, and that just, to me, I'm kind of, um, juxtaposing that with with what Tim Hankinson has tried to do here with Chattanooga Red Wolves. It's a new team, but he doesn't feel like you have to just kind of you know be an expansion team that's going to get beat up on. Um, you know, he's he put together a team with talent that he's expecting to compete. Um, a little different, of course. You know, there's 23 other teams that are pretty well established in MLS as opposed to kind of a brand new league. The other part, the other, so I didn't get my last my last team on the Eastern conference that I think is going to struggle or that I think is going to be kind of on that that bottom. And what's interesting is I went and looked at a bunch of like other sites and I'm trying to pull it up. And some people actually have these guys mid-table. I don't think that. I think that they are going to struggle even more than they did the previous year. And so for me, that, that team's Montreal. They were mid-pack last year. They barely made the – they were what, seventh or eighth last year. I can look that up. But they were – they were mid-pack last year. I think they're falling farther. I think they're that third team that's going to really struggle um, for me. So does that mean that who do you have that's going to make a big move and be in that, that goes from being the struggler and that's gone to the middle? Do you have in your middle of pack there? I'm looking at Minnesota United. Um, they've made some strong moves to shore up their defense. Um, I think they're going to come, you know, they finished 10th or 11th in the Western Conference last year, and I think they're going to make that push up to be battling for a playoff spot. So it's year three um, for them. And they were one that took kind of a slow growth approach. And I think with the moves they've made this year, they're going to be ones that are battling for a playoff spot. Um, the other teams that I have in that tier um, are uh, Houston Dynamo, um, Real Salt Lake. They're ones that um, just, you know, their their rosters are solid MLS rosters, but they're also nothing that has me incredibly excited of players that they have or have added yeah. or anything like that. Um Colorado Rapids uh, were able to re-sign um, Kellen Acosta, and uh, so you have them making a pretty big jump because they finished near the bottom, of, like I think eleventh or tenth or eleventh. Yeah, and um, some of this to me is just you know it's almost like when you're picking the uh, the basketball brackets of you just say, well this this is kind of random, but there's always that one random thing that happens in a tournament. Yeah, um, Colorado making improvements. Um, 
I think they may be a team that's that's at least battling, pushing for a playoff spot. Um, the last one I have in this tier for me is uh, Portland Timbers. So, you know, um, full disclosure, I'm a Timbers fan. They're the team. They're the MLS team that I follow the closest. Um, losing Liam Ridgewell in the defense, um, they really making it to MLS Cup was kind of a Cinderella type run for them. Um, you know, they finished uh, fifth in the in the playoff chase last year. Um, so barely got in the playoff and went on kind of a magical run, beating Seattle Sounders and beating Sporting KC um, to get themselves uh, to MLS Cup. Um, losing Liam Ridgewell, the thing that I have noticed with Portland Timbers is that as their center back pairing goes, so goes the rest of the team. Um, and as it's a new pairing, I just don't know what's going to happen. And, you know, who knows if someone's going to get hurt. Yeah. Um so I see them struggling struggling there as well as the fact that they're going to be playing their first 12 games on the road as Providence Park is getting renovations done. Um, and so also Portland Timbers has been notoriously bad on the road. Yeah. Um, it's really weird. They have one of the most amazing home atmospheres and do fairly well at home and are just awful on the road. And so I wouldn't be shocked to see the Timbers at the bottom of the table after that first 12 games and then make a run and, and be pushing for playoffs. Well, what's interesting is sometimes that can work to your advantage. So if you, um, other teams have had to deal with that where they've got whatever, whatever situation is going on so that they've got this massive travel schedule to start off. Right. And the advantage of it on the back end is you have a ton of home games when you're making the playoff push. Um, so that can really work to their advantage, but no, I see what you're saying. Like starting off with 12 away games when you've already lost some key players, that's not the best way to go. And there's just something in their head playing away from home, and that's the problem. Like I, f- I feel like they're going to dig themselves into too deep of a hole. All right, so going on my side, when it comes to I'm – I'm focusing on the East and who I think is going to be that fighting for mid-pack to avoid being in the quote-unquote relegation zone. This is the one I think is going to probably frustrate some people, but I think DC United is going to drop down. I think the Rooney effect is done. Um, he's now, what, 90 in actual like soccer age, he may only be 34, but his actual soccer. I think age, he's played about 90 years. That's what I'm saying. Like he's 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 getting old for his soccer legs are getting. Not there. to mention the other miles that he's put on his body. If you know what uh, I'm saying. It's it's there's nothing wrong with with drinking some J W Kelly as often as possible. That's all I'm saying. Uh, but no, I, I think I think they're going to drop down. I think they made a great run at the end of the year. That he really brought some excitement to him, but I think they're dropping down, and I think. Columbus is going to be right there where they always seem to be, mid-pack. And they haven't – I mean, they have the excitement of the fact that they don't have the worst owner in MLS anymore, but uh, I don't think that changes anything on the field. I think they stay mid-pack. Also have somewhat of a local hero in Caleb Porter coming back to Columbus. It still doesn't do anything for me. I I just think they're going to be mid-pack. They're not going to to exceed expectations. They're they're not fighting – New York City FC, Atlanta, and the Red Bulls for those top three spots. And that brings me to my top three. Those are my top three. Those are the guys that are legitimately, those are your cup opportunities. I think Atlanta, um, even with um, selling Amarone, have obviously done a good job of replacing him. Uh, I think they are one of the few teams you'll see in MLS that actually have a good follow-up year. Uh, MLS is known for its parity, but I think Atlanta United is uh, known more for their ability to buy their way into championship. I think there's probably the nicest way to say it. Arthur Blank seems to be perfectly fine with spending all that money that comes with having 70,000 fans in the stadium. 
Did you see that mega yacht that he just bought? The what? The mega yacht. <laughs> no, I missed it that. That's pretty sweet. I wonder if he ever has Robert Kraft on there. Ooh. Oh, oh, all right. Um, and then the Red Bulls are, you know, they're. I think they're they're the same way. They have. I don't look at anyone when I look at their who left them and think to myself they've lost too much. So I think those are my three on the East that are going to be fighting for that cup top. And as I said before, I'm a huge person when it comes to the Border Shield. I think it's it deserves more than it gets. But you said huge person, and I'm sorry. And, and you saw me. Well done. <laughs> no, I, I supporter shield matters more to me than than the than the MLS Cup personally. I just think it takes a lot more to win that than it does to go on a run in the playoffs. Um, and I think part of that is because I've watched a lot of European soccer, and that's the focus. Um, and I get frustrated. I'm an NFL fan, uh, but I get frustrated with the fact that. I've got buddies that are um, New York Giants fans, and they legitimately wouldn't have one of their Super Bowls if somebody didn't magically catch a ball in their head. Um, yeah. And that type of stuff. Like, great. You had a great run for four games, but you didn't really have the best season, so I put a lot into that. And I think of those teams I talked about, my prediction of those, it's going to be uh, New York Red Bulls taking it again. I think uh, Atlanta United is going to stumble at first, and uh, Red Bulls will, will succeed. I want to stick a pin in Atlanta United. Um, but my cup contenders in the Western Conference, um, LAFC, there's not a ton of names that would impress someone who is just kind of a casual MLS fan. Um, but they're, you know, last year being their first season, they had a really strong season, um, finishing, I believe, second or third, third. in the conference. Yeah. Um, they said, as, you know, for a first year team, one of the highest point totals ever in MLS. Um, LA Galaxy with Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Um, I think it's a tad bit of an indictment on MLS that a person of that experience, shall we say, can come in. You mean the Rooney effect? And have that kind of dominance. <laughs> well, of course there's that. And it's, you know, he's good for coverage because he's always providing amazing sound bites. Um, but I'm, th- I'm thinking more on the field that a person in their late 30s. Uh, can come over and dominate a league after a massive injury the way that he has, Um, you know, but, but it is what it is. And and I think, you know, as long as they're not derailed by injuries, LA galaxy always does a good job putting a competitive team on the field. Um, So I see them being contenders sporting KC, um, you know, they kind of, it got stolen from them from Portland because of Sebastian Blanco's wonder strike. Um, but they really, you know, I, I remember watching in the playoff that they scored that first goal at home, and I was this close to turning the TV off, and then Sebastian Blanco scored his goal and got Portland on their run. Um, Sporting KC looked like the best team for a large part of that game. Of that game. Um, Do you think there's going to be the disparity between the two conferences like there was last year, where it was obvious that the best two teams were, were in the East? I think it's possible. Um, the team that I'm picking out of the West is Seattle Sounders. I think Jordan Morris returning from injury. As a, uh, as it, a Tempers fan? It does. It hurts a little. But I really I think they're going to have a strong squad. Um, and so I think they're going to be the ones that are going to kind of come up and surprise everyone. All right. So you said we're going to put a pin in it on Atlanta United. What is it you want to bring up? Um, interesting thing that I wanted to talk to you about. So apparently on the soccer Twitters, things got a little – Spicy, some would say, after Atlanta United's loss uh, in Guatemala in CONCACAF Champions League. Um, people in Atlanta upset that Atlanta United wasn't able to, to put that win on the board. 
Um, what do you think about that? <laughs> so I think, so here's my thing. Atlanta's got, it's an interesting sports town in that it's not a sports town. And it's going to offend people, but <laughs> it's not. And so the fans that are going... Come at us, Atlanta. Yeah. The fans that are going to those games, they're, they're having a great time, but they don't necessarily know MLS real well. And let's be honest, MLS could care less about the CONCACAF Champions League. They don't put a lot of effort into it. It's very rarely are they putting their best players out there, and it's usually happening in the early parts of the least during preseason. So to freak out about that only proves that point that people have made about Atlanta, that it's not a sports town. And the argument that I've made where I want to see how many fans are going to those games after they have four straight losing seasons, um, because fans stopped going to Braves games while they were winning championships. Like while they were winning the East for 13 straight years, they couldn't sell out playoff games. So the whole, they're a sports town. No, you're not. You love your SEC football. You'll show up to Falcons games when they're winning, but I went to plenty of Falcons games where the stadium was empty and it was early in the season because no one predicted you would win. And you couldn't even buy Chick-fil-A. Yeah. (laughs) So I I don't know. They're not a sports town, so that's why their fans are freaking out because they don't know what they're talking about. So two things that I thought about this. Number one is what you see a lot. It goes back to my point with Zlatan and the LA Galaxy and, you know, these um, European stars coming to MLS for semi-retirement and dominating in the league. The only way that we're going to um, help this league get better is for fans to express displeasure when their team doesn't perform well. So if they're going to go on the road and they're going to play bad and the team is going to hear fans are not happy about it, um, I think that's the kind of push that people need. Folks that want to have some kind of open system where we've got promotion, relegation, all of that kind of stuff. There's just too much happy talk that I see around the world of soccer, especially in America, whether it be with a club or whether it be with the national team. Um, you know, When these things are happening, people need to express displeasure so that we can start maybe but, focusing on this. But do you think that was the right... like? Should do you feel MLS teams should take the Concacaf Championship seriously? I think they should, and here's the other point that I would say with that is that as the United States, as the U.S. Soccer Federation goes to Concacaf, why why do we have to play this in the spring when it's at the beginning of the MLS season? Why can this not get moved back towards the summer or fall? A lot of these those those leagues down in Central America have they either they play what they play a winter league and they play kind of a fall league or something yeah. like that. So they would still be in season, yeah. but the MLS would be able to send their best people. Do you want to get eyes on CONCACAF Champions League? Allow MLS to take it seriously, to be at a point where they can be competitive. Well, see, I think everyone else does take it seriously. Like, I think your Central America teams are, are taking it seriously. It's us that don't. So then the question becomes... What motivates MLS? Well, I think we all know. It's it's the money, right? Right. And so is there an opportunity for them to make more money if if they take it seriously? I, I don't know. Because they're not even getting huge, huge numbers on TV for MLS, normal MLS games. So I'm not sure that that's the case. The other thing is, it's not just CONCACAF Champions League that has to deal with these differing schedules. So yeah, as we mentioned last week on us losing debate, um, which fortunately Arsenal came back and finished that out. But... Uh, Bate hadn't played in two months. So they had the same thing with the Europa League where they've got teams that use different leagues. So that's something I think every one of these various groups, whether it's CONCACAF or, or it's um, UEFA, they're all dealing with those same things when these 
countries have differing views. And so if I'm CONCACAF and I'm going, MLS has shown they don't care. They have, they're not putting anything into it. I'm going to focus more on how does it work best for those that do care. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, I just also feel like I don't know that it's going – I don't think it's going to matter that their fans are freaking out on Twitter because I think they're, the executives are looking at the same way I am. They're going, oh, look at those Atlanta fans. They don't know soccer. They don't know how we handle soccer here. I mean, hopefully I'm wrong. I'd love for them to, to take it seriously, but I just don't see it happening. I personally would love to to be in a position where they're taking the Champions League seriously. It's just, you know, it's another kind of level of competition that's I think is going to help develop players, um, feed them into the national team. And I think that's the same thing that I see. You know, all these Central American teams come play friendlies in America, um, and then they have us go play in their crappy stadiums and World Cup qualifiers, and they're throwing batteries and bags of urine at players and screaming nasty things at them. Um, and I don't understand how we're so afraid of being the bad guy. Um, I really think like we just need to kind of step up and be like, look, all right, fine. You're going to play a bunch of friendlies in America. Then you're going to have to play your world cup qualifier against us in Houston. Your home world cup qualifier has got to be in Houston. Could we, if you're going to play all your friendlies with us here. Yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs> oh, you don't like that? Well, I guess you're not going to be able to play friendlies in America anymore. There's probably not a way to do that because no, I'm sure so. it's like no. outside promotional teams that are setting those things up. And you're talking about the friendlies? Yeah. Yeah. And then I think if anything, it's to sometimes it's to bring legitimacy to the teams that are playing them, right? They, That's true. They bring in those teams so that they can say, hey, we got this um, top of the league from, you know, Guatemala that's coming to visit and it makes them look like, Hey, I've got this great friendly happening. That's this team that local people that have migrated to here from that area would love or whatever it is. So I don't know that you're going to see that shopping anytime soon, but all right. So going away for a little bit from MLS from CONCACAF and from the preview for MLS um, and back to some league one stuff. Uh, there was a big announcement kind of goes in line with what we were just talking about when it comes to, promotion of the league and such and i think this is huge and that's that league one is officially going to be on espn plus um, that to me is a significant mover of opportunity that uh allows our gms the, the gms of the various uh league one teams to have an, an extra feather in their cap when they're trying to get those players so that they're competing against the nieces of the world uh, what do you think of that yeah, I think that's an excellent point, not something um, that I had thought about, but in player recruitment, getting high-quality players, um, you know, you're going to get noticed because the guy, um, you know, with any of these MLS clubs is going to be able to get on M- uh, ES- ESPN Plus and, uh, and see these matches um, from all over the country. Um, I think it's going to help with fan engagement as well in that, you know, you're not just going to see – the 14 home matches here in Chattanooga and then have to try to follow Twitter um, or try to watch some weird home movie stream yeah, and from I, someone that traveled. And who knows if anyone's going so, to be able to travel to Tucson. Yeah, well, and like speaking of in Chattanooga, so in here in Chattanooga, Chattanooga FC does a YouTube feed of the majority of their away games. And they do an excellent job with what they do for the budget they have, which is basically none. Um, they produce an incredible product for what they're doing. Like you got to give them credit for that. But even in that, what what you're saying there, there's a difference in level of having consistent uh, presentation of this. And from what I understand, if it's done like USL Championship, 
the home team is who's doing who does this, and they all have a, a similar way that they have to have set up certain amount of cameras, things of that effect. Um, so it will be kind of interesting to to be able to hear some of those hometown announcers who know those teams and what they talk about those teams, mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to it, it's still just being our guys that are doing it and the only ones that know about that or that thoroughly know about like the Red Wolves. So when we're traveling to Tucson, to be able to hear like the Tucson guys talk about. Hey, here's what this has been. Here's the three games prior to that. Now I may be able to watch it, but it's not the same, right? So that'll be interesting to me as well, is to be able to hear that. But the big thing is Chattanooga did a great job, but there was a couple times that we try to watch a feed. I remember that was put on by somebody else, and I would get dizzy. The camera was moving so much, um, and you know you'd have you know smoke coming in front of the camera because somebody right in front of them put the smoke bomb off, and you literally can't see anything for about five ten minutes right. until that dissipates. Yeah. Good question. Yeah. Um, how is anyone in Lansing going to be able to watch the game? Because um, all I see of the assembly line on Twitter is them holding off the yellow or the orange and blue smoke bombs. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually got in a little bit of uh, hot water with some Detroit City FC fans last year when CFC went to Detroit because I posted something on Twitter to the effect of, hey, it'd be great if I could watch the game. Uh, I can't see anything through the smoke, and they just—they—they are, they are uh, an interesting group in that um, they are passionate about their team, but they are also enjoy being incredibly harsh when it comes to responses. Like legitimately, it was meant as a kind of a joke about the fact that you couldn't even see the ball on the on the field. Um, the best part was that they had gotten an offsides goal right before that, so they were shooting off their flares for nothing, which made it even funnier. Um, but. Yeah, it, I think you're right. I think that that's something I am slightly worried about. Like we're trying to watch the the Red Bulls, where it was first ignite game. Like, are we going to be sitting there going, "Man, they need to use a brighter ball," so I know where it is, um, <laughs> because that's how I felt when I watched that. Now that was a YouTube feed, um, so maybe it'll be better on ESPN Plus. The other thing I really like is that um, for me as a fan, because I'm obsessive about stuff and I want to know a little bit about a team coming in, I can watch a a replay of the game on ESPN plus before we go before we're playing them. So when forward comes in for a home opener, I can watch their game that they had the week before and see, you know, what kind of setup do they have? What are the players I want to keep an eye out for? So when I am there live at the game, I can see those things and look for those things. So I hear exciting. they have a flamingo. That's pretty good at bicycle kicks. Yeah. He, as long as he's not covered in snow in the flamingo situation. That's from, true. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I really am impressed by their, their Twitter stuff. Like I, I watched their, uh, some of their stuff where like when he was the first signed signed player and they made him the goalkeeper and they were basically just destroying him with kicks. Um, Yeah. I don't know how many flamingos, plastic flamingos they had to go through to get those takes. So what I'm hoping um, the Portland Timbers have, you know, the gigantic spruce log Yeah, and they'll cut off a slab. When you're a goal scorer, they give you one of the slabs. Like, you know, they have it signed or whatever. You get to take it home with you. So like Fernando Adi now is playing with, uh, FC Cincinnati, like he's probably got a storage unit somewhere that's just got like 50 wood slabs piled up that he got from the Portland Timbers. Um, so I think it would be awesome if Forward Madison just gave them a flamingo whenever they scored a goal. Oh, that would be pretty funny. I, I know you would just have a guy's lawn would just be full of <laughs> flamingos because he got them all from scoring goals. <laughs> oh, that would be good stuff. That's free content, Forward Madison. You're welcome. <laughs> all right, so. Um, there's been a number of preseason matches that have been happening across the league and some pretty good results have been coming in for, for some championship teams. 
Um, does that, do you take that as it's, it's early, there's no telling what's going on, or do you take that as a sign of, hey, there's some stiff competition? Um, I'm skeptically optimistic. Um, you know, it is preseason, um, but, you know, it's impressive to get on the board first and take a lead against uh, an MLS club, even if it is New England Revolution. Um, barely an MLS, which I hear is what Robert Kraft. Never mind. Yeah, um, it's we'll what cut. it's what it's what drove him to need we'll a massage. Uh, I don't think he even knows. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> so it's impressive for Greenville Triumph. Um, that's that's awesome that they were able to you know to get on the board first, even though they eventually lost the match, obviously against an MLS club. Um, Forward Madison's win against Indy Eleven. Um, was good. FC Tucson has had a chance to really harden themselves against some stiff competition uh, in the mini Mobile Sun Cup. Yeah, uh, out in Arizona. So I think it's it's overall I think it's going to be a good thing in that it's going to you know this is this is going to be a competitive season. It's not going to be just the Red Wolves sweeping through and by the end you know it's not like Alex playing FIFA on on beginner. Um, you know you win just, those now just That's sweeping good. to the cups. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, <laughs> the other part that that worries that worries me a little bit, um, whenever you just look at the score, is that you know just watching the the Red Wolves game. It's most of these games if they're running in the same way, it's, it's you're not limiting on on subs. Right. So a second half, may, the team that's out there may not even be the normal team. It may be those guys that are trying to make the team. So there's it's hard to tell by a score. So I don't want to read too much into it, but at the same time. Um, being competitive is 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 a is important. I mean, they're not getting they're not getting you know beat six nothing eight nothing. Right. They're not losing twenty to nothing like that team in Series C. Uh, there there is something to that, which means their defense, even if it is the backups that they're playing against, I feel like the backups for an MLS team is should be on par with a championship team. So when it comes to Greenville's side, I feel like they probably got a pretty good idea, a pretty good test, even if it was mainly backups. Sure. Um, I don't know the same for those of us that have been playing championship side. Their backups, the people that haven't yet been cut, may eventually be on some of those League One teams. So those are a little bit more, you, you got to take them with a grain of salt. The Indy 11 game, you got to take with a grain of salt. Um, I think, you know, it's kind of the same thing that Las Vegas had, where Las Vegas was celebrating their win over Toronto. Um, for a USL championship team, making it a big deal that they beat an MLS team. You beat a bunch of players that will more than likely be in championship <laughs> or, or be sitting the bench wishing they were in championship or on the B team. Like, that's, right. uh, let's be honest. So um, I think you, anytime you're dealing with preseason, uh, it doesn't mean anything. I think the Cleveland Browns proved that a few years ago. I think they went, didn't they, or weren't they the team that went undefeated in the preseason and then went defeated in the regular season in football? Yes, that so, sounds right. Uh, and if, if not, it was a one in fifteen. Like you can't any sport. You're prying things out you may not use. You're doing those things. So yeah, it's exciting. I'm glad we're not getting you know run out of the stadium. But I'm I'm gonna hold off till we start seeing some real matches. I was trying to live tweet and let every you know get, send everyone updates for folks that weren't at the match. And there was one point in the second half where I think um, nine or ten people on both sides got subbed at once. Yeah. And I was just like, there's been a lot of subs. <laughs> I couldn't keep up with all who all came in and who all came off. It was like, uh, a lot of subs. 
Yeah, my wife's like, Sweet. my wife was like, wait, I didn't know we had this many players. I was like, I don't think we do. Like, <laughs> I was like, it's possible a couple guys showed up in jerseys and they're like, hey, yeah. I almost got out there. I didn't wear the right color shirt. <laughs> yeah, that's that's on you. Uh, so this last segment we're coming up on is a segment I personally have been looking forward to and is known as Alex's airing of grievances. I got a lot of problems with you people. All right. My wife's probably going to hate that I'm saying this, but. Our neighbors, on the wettest week of the year, when our entire backyard is nothing but a swamp. And our we're, we live in a block of townhouses, so we don't have fences between our yards. But So behind our house is just absolute swamp. Cold, rainy, for the whole week. This, this lady has bought a dog. And she put that dog outside on a chain. And she's turned over like a big drum garbage can as this dog's house. And that's it. As far as I know, they have not come back outside to check on that dog. Question, why did they get a dog? <laughs> I, I, I'm going to hope that it's more of a, they had a, and this is a terrible thing to hope for. They had a family friend that died and nobody else would take the dog. And so they've taken the dog until they can find a home for it. That's the only, I think, thing you can go for. It's taken everything I have to keep my wife from taking the dog inside uh, because she has a kind, big heart, and I'm hard-hearted and mean. That's why we have Alex's airing of grievances. <laughs> I, I have one dog. I worked really hard to train that dog to go outside and stay in our backyard so that I don't have to try to put on shoes and walk around and slop. On the wettest week of the year. But no, now I have to go outside in the dark and the cold and the rain to make sure my dog doesn't go running after some strange dog that's been chained up outside. Thanks. <laughs> and that was Alex's airing of grievances. Surprisingly, I don't feel any better. I, I'm really not that surprised because the dog's still going to be there when you get home. All right, well, that brings us to the end of our episode. We do have a big ask of those of you that have listened to the full episode. If you could retweet the episode announcement with the hashtag, Hey Terry, listen to the whole thing, that'd be great. Because we were made aware of by Terry Lee, who works for the front office of the Red Wolves, that she's only listening to the Red Wolves portion of the podcast, and that's just not cool. So we want to call her out on Twitter if we can and just let everyone know, Hey, listen to the whole thing. There's some good stuff in there. So once again, uh, retweet it with hashtag... Hey, Terry, listen to the whole thing. <laughs> I can't deliver the punchline. Dang it. <laughs> oh, man. I don't know. Maybe it's better when I bust out laughing. <laughs>